0: Hi, this is Felix chimera lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lilonga, Malawi. I'm happy that you've joined us for the Kairos Lilonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpack. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. I'd like to ask you to turn with me, please, to Esther, chapter number three. Esther, chapter number three. We started a series through the book of Esther. About three weeks ago. How many of us are enjoying this? Amen. Speaking to our lives. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Esther chapter number 3. I'll start reading from verse number 1. And if you're able to stand, let's stand up together. As this is God speaking to us. Amen. Amen. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamad- Hamadetha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahusserahs. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, and the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman day after day. And they cast it month after month, till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad, and dispersed among the peoples of, of all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not... It is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed and I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hammedatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, "The money is given to you, to you the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an an edict, according to all that Haman uh, commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahusaras and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces, And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. All men are like grass, and their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God lives on forever. Holy Spirit, we ask you, may you speak to us and move us into your destiny. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. You may be seated. The plot, the plot. Because God has gifted and talented you and resourced you to fulfill his mission in the earth, there is an enemy who wants to stop you. He wants to stop you because you are gifted, you are talented, you've been resourced by God to bring about the mission of God. There's none of us here, sitting here, who is here by chance or by accident. Oh, it is God who decreed that you should be alive in such a time as this. In fact, it is God who has given you the resources, given you the talents, given you the brains, whatever it is that you have that He has resourced you with, He has given it to you so that you fulfill His mission in the earth. You are here for a purpose. You are not just here to just go through life, to just exist and just uh, just survive in this life. No, that's not God's plan for you. Oh yes, you may say, well I live in Malawi, man. I mean, I I live in the place of the Anamapopa, bloodsuckers and stuff like that. This place is backward or whatever. I don't think it's going to get to anything and I don't think I'm going to amount to anything. You're wrong. God has a purpose. He has a plan for your life. And He wants you to be that person that brings to pass the thing that He has set you to do in the earth. And because of that, the enemy is against you. Because of that, the enemy will want to stop you, will try his best to stop you. In fact, he already is stopping you. See, you and I, when we forget that we just don't live or exist in this world with just God, but there are also other forces that are against the purposes of God, then we will wake up to the fact that our lives are not just another existence, but really, this is warfare. And I believe that's what the book of Esther reminds us. That our lives are a battlefield. That our lives are the place where the purposes of God will be worked out. But at the very same time, the enemy will come against the purposes of God in our lives. And I believe that what this passage is really telling us today is for us to know that the enemy is plotting to overthrow our destinies. In fact, tell your neighbor, the enemy is plotting to overthrow your destiny. Tell the other one, the enemy is plotting to overthrow your destiny. See, if you catch that you catch my whole sermon because that's what my whole sermon is about. The enemy is plotting uh, is, is plotting to overthrow your destiny. What can we know? What can we do in terms of counteracting that action of the enemy? What is it that we should know so that we can also be on the counter-strike when it comes to the enemy overthrowing our destinies? Number one, we should know the person of the enemy. Know the person of the enemy. Look at verse number one of chapter number three. After these things, King Ahuseras promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of, of Hamadetha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, uh, 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 for the Lord had so commanded concerning him. So, who is this person? Who is this Haman? You have to go back to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, in chapter number seventeen, the children of Israel are at a place called Rephidim. In that place, they have no water. In fact, in that place, they rebel against God. And they say to Moses, Moses, did you bring us out here so that we would die of thirst in the desert? It was so much better for us back in Egypt. And it was that place that God provided for them water. But just as soon as God had provided water for them, the Amalekites came fighting against them. And Moses told his servant Joshua, go down there and fight Amalek. And that's a place where you find that uh, as Joshua is fighting out in the valley, Moses is up on a hill and he's interceding with his rod, the rod of God, and he's lifting his hands up like that. When he got tired, they were losing the battle. When the rod was coming down, they, they were losing the battle. When he lifted it up, the children of Israel were winning the battle. And so Aaron and Hur, they come to assist him to lift up his hands. And they won the battle. And God says, listen. You shall always make sure that you finish up these Amalekites because they are there to stop you from getting into your destiny. Please understand, the earth is contested space. The earth is contested space. There are two forces, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy. And God wants to bring His influence into the earth. His choosing the children of Israel was so that His purposes in the earth would be fulfilled. Because when God created the earth, he gave it to the sons of men or human beings. And the sons of men, human beings, are the ones that have authority. And we know the story, how Adam and Eve took the authority that they had and they gave it to Satan. In other words, whoever you allow to to be submissive to, whoever you obey, that one becomes the one that you have submitted to and you're under that one's authority. And so ever since then in the Garden of Eden, ever since the fall, there has been authority in the earth that is really concentrated in the hands of Satan, the enemy. But God in His plan chose a people that will bring about His purposes. And He told them, I'm going to give you a land. And it is that land in Exodus chapter number 17 where they are headed to. And it is that very same land, that very same destiny that the Amalekites are stopping them from getting into. If you fast forward in the history of Israel, you get to 1 Samuel chapter number 17, you hear the story of Saul. In fact, let's go there, 1 Samuel chapter number 15. Let's quickly go there so that we can put this in perspective. 1 Samuel chapter number 15. Verse number one says, And Samuel say to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did not do to Israel. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, oxen sheep, camel and donkey. Look at verse number 9. Verse number 8, I'm sorry. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted, the, the, the destruction, and devoted to destruction all the people with the age of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Now I want you to watch this, right? We, we know that Haman is an Agagite. In other words, he is uh, uh, a descendant of King Agag. Right? And so, the word comes to Samuel to tell Saul that, listen, you must make war with the Amalekites. Why? Well, understand this. God has given Israel a place in the earth to fulfill his purposes, isn't it? But, because we know in the earth, uh, the way that you, you have peace is by having war. Did you know that? <laughs> to have peace in the earth is, is, is because there's, there's the threat of war. In fact, war brings about peace. And so there's understanding here that if you are not going to destroy these people, they are going to take your inheritance and my purpose will not be fulfilled in the earth. Right? And so Saul here is a person, as we see, who does not fulfill what God said that he should do. Because God said, you kill the Agagites, you kill the Amalekites, finish them off. And so, as we move from this time of Samuel and we move now into the time of Esther, there already is an enmity between the Amalekites and the children of Israel. You see, if we don't see that perspective, or if we don't understand that, we will think that Haman and uh, and, and Mordecai really just have a personal issue. This is not a personal issue. In fact, this is very much a spiritual issue. Right? So you can see it on the outset as just, oh, look, that personality and that personality. Or that person feeling like they can't bow down to that person. No, 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 no. These are kingdoms at war. And friend, I'd like to ask you that you start seeing your life in terms of the kingdom which you represent. Start seeing your life in terms of the kingdom which you represent. If you have put yourself under the authority of God, you are under the kingdom of God. If you have put yourself under the authority of this world, you are under the kingdoms of this world. So watch what Mordecai does, or is it, does not do. Let's go back to chapter number 3 of Esther. Let's go back to verse number 2. It says, But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. Now watch this. Mordecai is refusing. I cannot bow down to this man. I cannot bow down to what this person represents. Now watch this. He was bowing down to the king. Okay. You get it? When he came to King Ahasuerus and all the authorities, definitely he was bowing down. He was was supposed to bow down. But when he comes to Haman, and what Haman represents, he is defiant. I will not bow down to this. I will not bow down to that which represents the fall of the kingdom of God, or that which represents the refusal of the destiny of the people of God, to move into what God has called them to do. Oh friend, listen. Haman is a representation of the enemies of God, of those that stop the people of God from becoming what God has called them to become, of those that stop the Word of God from being fulfilled. And so, Haman is told that Mordecai is a Jew. So watch now, verse number five. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not, Mordecai did not. Did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So, as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole of the kingdom of Ahasuerus. So, watch this. Mordecai, true to his identity, is not content with just dealing with, I'm sorry, uh, Haman is not content with just dealing with Mordecai. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. He says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not, I'm not just going to, 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 to fix this guy or just Mordecai alone. I'll go for his whole people. Hallelujah. I'll go for his whole people. I just don't want him. I want everything that he represents. Because again, he has this thing, this understanding. These are Jews. These are our enemies. Now, of course, we're, we, we're living in the New Testament times. Should we say, Haman uh, here is that guy in our neighborhood that doesn't like us, and so that's our, that's our enemy? No, then you miss the point. You miss the whole plot of the Bible. See, in the New Testament, there is actually the revelation that, no, 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 no. Our enemies are not just human beings. No. In fact, Paul says, we wrestle not against with flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And he's speaking of demonic forces. Remember the person or the, the, the entity that stopped Jesus' uh, move forward in his destiny? Who was it? It was Satan, isn't it? And so here, from a New Testament perspective, as we see Haman, we should understand Haman represents the arch enemy, who is Satan himself. In other words, my friend, Satan is out to get you. Satan is out to stop you. Because Satan understands that if you move into the destiny and calling that God has for you, you are going to bring him down. See, Satan is going to fall when Jesus Christ comes back again. And Jesus said, the next time he's coming back again, it's only going to happen when we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They asked Jesus, they said, after he had resurrected from the dead, Acts chapter number 1, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because their understanding as Jews was that Messiah was going to come, the descendant of David, who will sit on the throne of David, and he's going to reign over all the nations. So is this going to happen now? He says, no. It's up for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has set in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. In other words, Jesus was saying, Listen, my next coming is really up to you guys. It's when you do your job. When you fulfill the destiny that I have for you. That's when I'm going to come back again. And in the New Testament, you find the disciples they are very sure, very certain of who the enemy is. They understand that behind all the things, the forces that are opposing the spread of the gospel, behind all the forces that are opposing their, their, their destinies, really is Satan. My friend, have you factored in Satan into your life? We need to wake up. We need to wake up to the reality that Satan is out there to mess us up. To stop us from moving into our destinies. Oh yes, in every area of our lives. In our families. In our families. Those disputes that just come from nowhere. Those things that just flare up between husband and wife. From nowhere. And yet we're believers. Yet we're Christians. Yet we both love God. What is happening? Have you been watchful? Have you been watchful? Have you been watchful to see that the enemy has not stepped in at all? Listen, the enemy will try his best to take advantage of any situation. Your business, your business. Could it be the enemy has infiltrated? Could it be that he's messing up stuff in your business? Because you see, you and I, again, need to remember our resources, businesses, jobs, property, and whatever. Those are the things that God has given us to further His purpose in the earth. Jesus tells us very clearly, Don't store up your treasure on earth where moth will eat it, where rust will will corrode it. Store up your treasure in heaven. In other words, the things that you have, your giftings, your talents, your resources, they are meant to be used for His kingdom. Why? Because one day Jesus is going to come back. One day each and every human being will stand before God and give an account before God. And it's not going to matter... What it is that we did down here, if that thing was not connected to the expansion of His kingdom, to bring in people into His kingdom. What are the areas in your life where there is opposition? What are the areas in your life where is frust- where there is frustration? What are those areas? Because chances are, behind that could be the enemy. It could be the enemy behind that. Oh, some of us have tried each and everything that we can do to alleviate the stress from that particular thing, but it's still not working. Friend, could it be? It's the enemy. See, the enemy usually works best in 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 the dark. Satan doesn't want you to know it's Satan. He wants you to think it's somebody else. He wants you to think it's just a circumstance. He does his best job in the background. Ask your neighbor, do you know the enemy? Now I do realize, and you know, I, I've been taught, just again, in seminary and Bible college, that look, you don't have a whole sermon that's just talking about the enemy and Satan. But here, for me to be biblical, it's talking about the enemy. The whole chapter is about Haman, and what Haman is going to do. And if you understand that this is written for us, that we should be aware of things, then we should have the very same emphasis the scripture is having. There is a person of the plot, or there is a person behind the plot. There is a plot to bring you down. There is a plot to make sure you don't move forward in the purposes of God. There is that plot. Oh, Some of you, you are serving in church. You're serving, church. You're not serving anymore. You got frustrated. Who do you think got you frustrated? Oh, no, it's pastor. No, it's not pastor. It's not pastor. In fact, pastor is worried that you're not serving. But there's somebody who's really happy. Who's really having a cup of tea that, Ah, you know, that one used to serve with the kids. Now she doesn't serve with the kids anymore. There is somebody stopping you from getting into your destiny. Please, church, understand. The thing that you do for God is the thing that powers everything else about you. In other words, your service for the kingdom is the primary thing about you if you're a believer. Because for us as believers, we know the next great thing is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Isn't it? And so we live our lives in such a way that we hasten, we quicken the coming back of Jesus Christ. How? By preaching, by getting involved in a church community like this, where we're taking the gospel to the ends of the world. And if there is a place where the devil wants us to stop serving, it's right here in church. Because he knows the church is the vehicle that God has set in the earth to bring about his purposes. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter number 3, he says that the church is what shows to the principalities and powers, that's demonic forces, the multifaceted wisdom of God. How is the multifaceted wisdom of God seen in the earth? It's through the church. And so what is the thing that the devil is going to attack the church? The church as just a corporate entity. No, as also individuals. Could it be, again, that the reason you are not serving anymore, your frustration, behind your frustration, is the enemy? Could it be? Because God wants you to serve. I mean, if you say you're a member of Kairos, well, you're a member because you you want us to serve together, isn't it? Yes. And so if you're not doing what you're saying, that you're supposed to be doing, well, it's not only wrong, but you should check yourself and say, why am I not doing what I'm meant to do? Hallelujah. The person behind the plot, number one. Know the person behind the plot. Number two, I want you to know the power in the plot. The power in the plot. Look at verse number seven. It says, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the fifth month of Adar. Now, I want you to watch this. I want you to watch this. We're told here, it's the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus. When we started off, we were told that, you know, it was in the third year, chapter number one, the third year of King Ahasuerus, isn't it? Third year of King Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus started reigning in 486 BC. So therefore, third year will have been 483 BC, right? And so now, we're told this is the twelfth year, now we're down to 474 BC. So what is happening here, is five years after the coronation of uh, Esther, because Esther was coronated as queen in 479 BC. Look, this is historical fact. This is not just stuff that's made up. Other people say that, oh, look, uh, this book of Esther is really just a small novel. No, these are things that actually happen. Aeuseras uh, is actually King of the, of the of the Persians. Right? And so this is happening five years later. Right? Five years later, and watch this, they cast lots. Now, if you're from Africa, you know what that stuff is about, isn't it? I mean, that's occultic stuff happening right there. So they cast lots. And we're hearing that this was in the the month of Nisan. The first month, they started casting lots. It's occultic, my friends. They started casting lots before Haman, day after day. And guess what? They did that up until the 12th month. So day after day in that month, casting lots. And then all the way to the 12th month. Listen, the enemy doesn't play fair. Tell your neighbor, the enemy doesn't play fair. Ah, he'll use everything at his disposal to make sure that he brings you down. Also, you, you think that you know uh, this witchcraft stuff actually exists? For somebody who believes that there is God, you must believe that there are evil forces as well, isn't it? Right? So if you don't believe that there is a good spiritual entity out there call, called God, then it's okay, you don't have to believe in witchcraft. Because for you, it means then that there is no such thing as a supernatural world, isn't it? But on the other hand, if you believe that there is a supernatural world, and that there is God who is supernatural, and He is good, then you must also believe that there is a devil or Satan who is evil, who is opposing the purposes of God. And that devil is also a spiritual force. Just like the casting of lots you find in the Old Testament used to discern the will of God. Even in the New Testament, Acts chapter number 1. When they're trying to find a replacement for Judas, they cast lots, isn't it? It was a way of determining the, the, the will of God. And so here, Haman, when he's doing this, he's not trying to determine the will of Jehovah God. No, it's the will of his God. That's where it gets demonic right there. Please, please understand, you are living in Africa. You are in Africa, and there is witchcraft around us. There is witchcraft around us. Oh, so pastor, are you saying all this Anamapopa stuff? Because you see, we're talking about blood sacking right now, and all this stuff, so are you trying to say that the Anamapopa stuff is for real? Well, here's a question, and this is a sidetrack, by the way. If somebody says, blood has been sacked from them, Last time I checked, blood is a physical substance, right? You can touch, you can smell. Is that it? So if I tell you, blood has been sucked from me, a physical substance, well, there should be the evidence that that physical substance has left my body. No? If I were to tell you, oh, listen, I've stolen your laptop, and you still have your laptop with you, I've stolen it in the spirit. I mean, you just say, you, what have you been eating? What are you high on? Because it just doesn't work like that, isn't it? For physical substances, it means that the, 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 the proof is in their being there or not being there. None of the people that have said that blood has been pumped from them after being tested by medical people have been found to have lost blood. So that doesn't have any evidence. Now, to say that is not to say that witchcraft does not exist. No. It's just to say that this particular instance of an Amapopa or whatever, that thing has no evidence that somebody's blood has been sucked. And here's a tragedy. Innocent people are killed by people that are saying that person is an Amapopa, a blood sucker. Which is more dangerous, mob justice or an Amapopa? Which has killed more people, mob justice or an Amapopa? Mob justice. Mob justice is what we should be stopping. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. That's where the efforts of the church and our prayers should be. Let's stop this stuff. And you know the way that you stop that stuff. You just don't stand on a hill and be praying. No, you get the police down there, the army down there, to grab those people, imprison them. Because that's how that nonsense of mob justice stops. Hallelujah. But I want you to watch this from the text. The occult. There is occultic power that is used. And listen, there is occultic power that may be used against you. So there you are with your business and you're a Christian and you have your shop and you know your hallelujahs and everything. May I wake you up to the fact that your next-door neighbor may actually be somebody that is an occultist and maybe somebody that is planning and plotting against you, because some of these people they understand that the shop that you're owning is space that they want to. And so that when you take that space, they are saying, that's the space that I want. And they'll do all sorts of things to ensure that they get you out of there. And watch what the enemy says. Listen to Haman. It says in verse number, verse number 8, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's prophet to tolerate them. Now watch this. The enemy has intel. Yes, the enemy has intelligence. The the enemy has intel on the people of God. The enemy understands who they are. Look, these people are dispersed across. They're all over the place. They're in every part of the kingdom. And then these people, they will not listen to our laws. Why? Because they have another God. And they have the law of their God. And that's what they're going to keep. And so the enemy sees the children of Israel for the threats that they actually are. Because that is a threat. They're dispersed all over the kingdom. And they are rebellious. Hallelujah. Do you know? (laughs) The children of God don't really know who they are many times. They don't understand that we've been dispersed over all this world. And that we've been sent into this world to be salt and light by, by, by following the law of our God. That as we do the things that God has called us to do, we come against the principles of this world. So you try and go into that office, that cash getting office. And you go there with your Jesus and your honesty and you're speaking the truth. And your being on time, and your integrity. You want last long. There will be people out there who are saying, You are messing us up. They will do all sorts of things to ensure that they displace you. Amen. Amen. They know who you are. Oh please, when you walk into that office again, when you walk into that classroom again, may you know you are representation of the kingdom of God. That when you walk into there, you are there so you can be salt and light in your, in your office, in your business. May you conduct your business in such a way, it is a representation of the kingdom of God. See, when you start living like that, the enemy starts getting scared of you. When you start living like that, the enemy starts getting scared of you. Because they know this person will thwart up our purposes in this place. It's not going to work because of this person. Ask your neighbor, are you a threat to the kingdom of darkness? Are you a threat to Satan? You see, far from what a lot of people think, Satan does not have unlimited resources. Satan is not everywhere. At every at every point in time. He doesn't have all the all the angels. He has a limited number of angels. And so he also has to be strategic. There are some of these people, even though they are Christians and they're going to church and they're a member of Kairos or whatever church that they have in Ministries International out there, <laughs> right? They are mine. They're serving my purposes. Because on Sunday they go and they, sing, they 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 shout their hallelujahs and they speak in tongues or whatever, you know, Honda and my bow tie, Suzuki and all that stuff that we all say, right? But at the end of the day, who are they living for? They're living for me. Their purposes are my purposes. We need to wake up that we are messengers of the kingdom of God. We are the salt and the light in this world. Haman understands that. He knows that these people scattered all over the place. He knows that these people, they are rebellious. They will not obey the laws of the king. Watch what else the power comes in. Watch verse number number 10 there. Verse number 9, I'm sorry. If it pleased the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business. That they may, they may put it into the king's treasuries. Watch this, watch this, watch this. They, this person has money. He has resources. 10,000 talents of silver was a lot of money whole provinces when they, were, when they gave the tax to the king, would, would come up with something like 9,000 talents of silver. And here he was offering, listen, here's 10,000 silver talents, I will pay. Not you king, I'm going to pay. In other words, this enemy will do anything to stop the people of God. Listen, your battle is not just a spiritual battle, your battle is also an economic battle. Hallelujah. We've had too much religion, man. Religion has told us that, listen, your your, your Christianity is just about your faith with God. No, no, no. God wants us to transact in the earth. God wants us to take this gospel to the ends of the world. How are we going to do it? On just prayers? No. Prayers must manifest themselves into resources in the earth. How are you going to send somebody to Tokyo, Japan, to be a missionary? How? How? Kazakhstan, my favorite place. How are you going to send somebody out there to be a missionary without money? And so the enemy will make sure that he uses resources to ensure that he stops you. May you wake up to the importance of money. Money is important. Hallelujah. Oh, there we go again, those prosperity preachers again. You know, Ecclesiastes actually says money is the answer to everything. It's in the Bible. Money is the answer to everything. In other words, there is nothing you're going to do in the earth without money. Amen. There is nothing you're going to do without resources. When you have resource, resources, you can do it. So you want to go to school? So you want to go to college? So you, you, you say God has called you to be, to, 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 to be a doctor? Guess what? You're going to need money. No, I don't have money. Well, somebody has money that's going to give you, but you still need money. So let's wake up church. For us to do the work of God, we need the money. It's also an economic battle as well. And you see it in the, in the book of the Acts, isn't it? How those people are giving. Giving like everything, man. And they give that so that the gospel can move forward. The power of the plot, or in the plot, is an occultic power. It's an economic power. And it's even a political power. Watch in verse number... Number 10 there says, So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hammedatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. So watch, Haman has access to political authority. Haman has access to the king. When the king takes his signet ring and gives it to him, that's the thing that authorizes the king or authorizes anybody bearing that signet ring to do whatever they want to do. The enemy has authority, my friend. (laughs) The enemy has authority. We're living in enemy territory, Christian. And the word has gone out. Stop them. Stop that one. Don't let them do well. Don't let them prosper. Because when they prosper, there's going to be the prosperity of the kingdom. And when the kingdom prospers, it means it's going to be our end. And so, we are not even catching it. We're just living our lives, just waking up in the morning, and just getting ready, and going to, to, to school, or is it to the business, and saying, oh "No, I'm too busy, I don't think I have even the time to pray. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to fast. Do you know what you're up against? And then you wonder why you you are so frustrated. Why are you frustrated? You are frustrated because you are not making progress. Why are you not making progress? It could be the enemy has stopped you. So he can directly stop you. Or he can get you so busy doing some nonsense things that you are not able to do what you are called to do. Or somebody in your team can be busy doing nonsense things so that you are not able to do what you are meant to do but you do the things that that person is supposed to do. Do you know it happens like that? So instead of you concentrating on what God has gifted you, resourced you for, you start concentrating on some things that are not the issue for you. That's what happened in the church in Acts. The Grecian widows, they complain. We're not getting enough food. Seems like all these guys from these Palestinian Jews, they're they're getting the preference, but those of us that have come from the diaspora, you know, we're not getting that treatment, that preferential treatment like the other people. And so they went to... The apostles. And they say to the apostles, listen, this is what the Grecian widows are saying. And the apostles say, listen, uh, it's not for us to be giving food and stuff like that. That's not our calling. Our calling is to pray and to read the word of God and to teach the word of God. So, why don't you do this? You choose seven men amongst you, full of the Holy Spirit, who can take care of this matter. What would have happened if the apostles started dishing food? What would have happened if they were now in charge of the welfare of that community? And by the time it gets to chapter number 6, there's about at least 3,000 people there. And they were growing daily. Probably, that's a mega church of like 10,000 people or something. And so these guys, these 12 guys, should be making sure that everybody has eaten? No, 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 no. That's a misuse of them because that's not their primary calling. Listen, every time that we're not doing our part, we're making somebody to do our part. And sometimes we wonder, why isn't the church growing? It's because of you. It's because of you. You're not doing what you're meant to be doing. And so people are so busy doing everything else that you need to be doing. And the things that need to be done so that the church can move forward is not being done. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, listen, don't fall into the trap of the enemy. Because the enemy will lie to us and say, listen, we're not growing. We're not moving forward. And you know, the fault is this, and the fault is that, and the fault is that, and the fault is that. Listen, before you start blaming, ask yourself, what am I doing? Am I doing my part? And nobody can tell you your part. Your part, you know, between you and God, you know why you're here. You know why you're a Christian. Isn't it? You know why you're a Christian. And so nobody needs to tell you, oh, listen, you're here to do such, such a thing. The best we can do is, you're here for such a time as this. But what you do with it is entirely up to you. And so, there is power in this plot. Occultic power. Oh, there is political power. There is economic power. It's to stop you. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter number 6. As he's talking about the principalities and powers. He says we don't wrestle against principalities. I mean, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers. Against things in the heavenly realm. He says here's what you should do. You should put on the full armor of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He says, put on the full armor of God. Gird your loins with the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Fit your feet with the quickness that comes with the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith with which you'll extinguish the fiery depths of the enemy. And put on the helmet of salvation. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In other words, you just, you just don't sit there, pray. You fight. You move forward. You stand on the word. You say, this is what God has decreed about me. God has said, He has witnessed it in my heart, that He has called me to be such, such a thing. God has said, when I am sick, He's going to heal me. And so I'm standing in the Word of God. Some of these sicknesses, my friend, are from witchcraft. Hey. Some of them are. Some of them are. Not all of them. Some of them are. And unless you learn to stand your ground... Unless you learn to say, I know there's, there are powers that are against me, you are going to be swallowed up whole and frustrated. And every time we say, oh, please, you know, we, we need you to, to, to fulfill your calling, to do this and do that, because you have the gift for it, you know, you're going to feel so frustrated, like, ah, you know, God doesn't even do anything for me. It's not about God. It's about that enemy that is standing against you so that he can turn you against God. Now, this enemy is wicked. He is very wicked. He makes you to stand against God. And when he has done that, you are so jaded that you would not lift a finger to do anything for the kingdom of God. Because you say, but what do they do for me? And here's what the enemy always does. He makes sure he points the problem to somebody else. So it's, it's not you, it's the pastor. Oh, it's not you, it's a cell leader. It's not you, it's whatever. Why? Because he knows the moment you come to understanding that it is him behind all that, You are going to wake up and say, listen, people may trip me up, but people are not really the thing. Amen. And here's where we should watch out about this back to sender stuff. What is the back to sender stuff? Well, there's a teaching now that if somebody is bewitching you, you pray prayers that they also, you know, they get double of what they have done to you. It's nowhere in the Bible. And some of you are singing, to, are dancing to songs, back to sender, back to sender, back to sender. Stop doing that. He says, Peter says, bless but do not curse. Even those that abuse you, you bless them. Why? Because you have been called to be a blessing. And so then, we know the powers that are against us. And we need to wake up and start doing accordingly. Amen. Amen. I tell you, if you're just going to sit there and do nothing about your spiritual life, if you're, not, if you're just going to sit there and do nothing about your growth in Christ, the enemy has you. He has you. He has you. Look, he doesn't want you to know it's him, so he'll give you a little bit of traction, you know? A little bit of sway and way, so that you feel like, oh yeah, you know, things are better today. Oh, I'm feeling happy today. Yes. So that he can lull you to sleep. So that you don't do anything about your situation. Know the people or the person in the plot. Or behind the plot. Know the power in the plot. And finally know the purpose of the plot. Listen. The purpose of the plot plot, is to confuse you. When you are confused and fearful, the devil has you. Watch what it says. Verse number 12. It says, Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month. And an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king satraps, and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. Watch. The thirteenth day of the first month. On the fourteenth day of the first month. For the Jew, that is Passover. So just before Passover, there's an edict that is written. An edict that says, kill these people, destroy them, and annihilate them. As if one word wasn't enough. Right? And so that edict is on the 13th. On the 14th is Passover. Passover is when Israel celebrates that God saved us with a mighty hand from Egypt. And uh, Passover was the place where God had said that from today, this is the beginning of the year for you. And so Passover speaks of new beginnings. Also Passover speaks of deliverance from bondage. And so on the eve before Passover, their celebration of deliverance, their celebration of a new season, this enemy says, I am going to kill him. Why? What is that about? Psychological warfare. Forget about your celebration. Forget about you celebrating what God has done before. Listen, when you celebrate what God has done before, it gives you strength for this moment right now. And so the enemy knows that the thing that he must cut is your praise. Hallelujah. The enemy will cut your praise because he knows when you can praise God, when you can see God for who He is and what He has done for you, you are not going to be frustrated. Hallelujah. Because it makes you to put things in perspective. Listen. No matter how broke and busted and disgusted you are this morning. If you know that God is on the throne. That even if you die, He's going to resurrect you. What can stop you? What can stop you? Nothing. And so the enemy knows. And so just before their celebration, just before their praise, He says, listen, here's something that I'm going to do. And watch the authority that they have. So these scribes have written all these things to uh, have written this edict to all these officials in the kingdom. Watch verse number. Verse number uh, twelve there, right at the end. He says it was written in the name of King Ahusaras and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's prophecies with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, that which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Ah! Oh, this enemy is not playing. You may be playing with him, he's not playing with you. He says, here's what's going to happen. You are going to kill, you are going to destroy And you're going to annihilate. Somebody say, annihilate. Annihilate. Oh, I tell you. Look, annihilate is is more like to to, to turn into powder, to pulverize, to make you nothing. Mm. That you are nothing to ensure you're dead. How do you think these people feel? They're fearful. And he says... Verse number fourteen: A copy of the document was was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. So, just one day, one day you round up, you round up all the Jews. One day you get done with them. One day, and then he says, the the couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king. And the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Now the citadel is the place where the king dwells in Susa. So you have the city of Susa, but the citadel is 30 meters elevated above the city. So you know the king lives there. And this edict is not coming from any other official. No, it's coming from the citadel. And the decree was was issued in Susa, the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. (laughs) So they're drinking. Look at the opposite effect. These people are thrown into confusion. May I say this to you? What the enemy, how the enemy plays you, he plays you with fear and confusion. The enemy plays you with confusion and fear. That's a weapon he uses confusion and fear, discouragement, that you come at a point of saying, I don't think this is even worth doing. There's a story told, not true, that the devil had this trade fair, where he was showing all the weapons that he has. And so there was one weapon, which was written, not for sale. You know, people flocked there and said, why not this one? You know, all the demons flocked there, why not this one? Well... This one is called discouragement. I can't give it to you. Why not? Well, because with this weapon, I can enter into any man's heart and discourage them and they can stop doing what God called them to do. Fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit of love, of a sound mind. That's what He has given us. Oh friend, listen, you and I need not believe what the enemy is saying. I do not know what your situation is today. I don't know what you're going to face when you get to the office tomorrow. I don't know what awaits you at home tonight. I don't know what your situation is like. But I'm here to tell you, you need not fear. Because the God that you serve is the God of promise. He says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. He tells Israel, fear not. You worm Jacob. Fear not for I am with you. When you go through the fire, the fire will not consume you. When you go through the waters, the waters will not overwhelm you. Friend, listen. Do not fear. Don't allow fear to reign in your life. It brings confusion in your life. Oh, it's time to put on that full armor of God. To stand on the word of God. You see, when you talk about the armor of God, the sword is the only piece of the armor that is offensive. Everything else is defensive. The sword, the word of God, is the only one that is offensive. By the word of God, you declare things. No, you cannot decree you're not the king, but you can just echo what the king has said about you. Oh, I tell you, these are the times to stand your ground and say, no, I'm not going to die of this sickness. We had a wonderful testimony on Friday night. Sister Linda Julia was sharing that she was diagnosed with uh, cardiac rheumatism. I think that's the word. I don't know, you doctors. Where well, there's rheumatism of the heart, the artery half cut or something like that, eaten up. And they told her, listen, you people with your kind of sickness never live beyond 15 years. They never live beyond 15 years. From the age of nine, she started taking all these medicines. And then, time to time, there'll be those places where it would be like, but well, you know, I really feel my heart is just pumping too fast. Probably, I'm gonna die." And da da da. She says her mother made sure if she was going on a long journey, she took her with him, with her, so that she was told these ones when they die, they die in their sleep. So that if it does happen, at least the mother is there. <laughs> and then there came a time about 2014, I think she said. Is it 2014, 2012, 2012? 2014, 2012? 2014 and again she she had uh, you know uh, her heart checked again and they said listen because she was working at the hospital then listen uh, the way that your heart is you need to go to india for an operation in fact there's gonna come a, cardi- a cardiologist from england he's gonna check this out he's gonna be here tomorrow so again you know when 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 you i don't know the diagram thing that they show <laughs> uh, whatever they call it what do they call it the scan, right? With the scan. Okay, I'm trying my, my best here. Right? So, when, when, when the scan comes out, you take it to the cardiologist. She said, that night, here's what I did. I said, Lord, I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray because I don't, I'm don't. i not buying this stuff that I should go all the way to India for this. I may not come back. And so she said, I prayed all night. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And in the morning when I got to the office, my friends were saying, hey, listen, you need to go see the cardiologist. And so she was kind of like fearful, got a scan, Went out there, showed the guy. He was like, There's no problem here. What do you mean there's no problem? There's no problem. He says, Look, look at all these health passports I have that have documented my sickness since I was nine years old. They say that I have this problem. Doctor said, No, you don't have anything. You don't even have to go anywhere. She went somewhere, showed somebody else, and somebody uh, was the other medical person there. And they were like, you know, this is really amazing. It's impossible. People with your kind of sickness should have died at 15. And here you are, you are 30 something. And still, you are living impossible. (laughs) Listen, there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. And his last word is the last word. Let no man tell you that you're going to die. Has God said you're going to die? Let not your fears be the things that make you to move or not move. That business, please stand on the word of God on that business. Please declare the promises of God on your business. He's the one who says in Deuteronomy 8, He says, I'm the one that gives you wealth. I give you the power to create wealth. Oh, but you know, it's a lousy economy. It doesn't matter. In a very lousy economy, when there was a famine, God told Isaac, remain in this land. And he blessed him. He blessed him. He says, he got a hundredfold. He blessed him until the man was very rich. He blessed him, this is the Bible saying it, until he was very rich. Why? Because he had listened to the promise of God. Friends stand on the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. It is the word of God that should define you, not people, not even you. sometimes we are self-referencing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> so what I've gone through before must determine what is going to happen to me. No, 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 no. Bring in Jesus into that place. Bring in Jesus yes! into that place. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. Oh, I tell you, we're going to move into what God has said we should move into. We will stand on his word. We will say the things he has said about us. We are not going to succumb to fear. How are you going to make it in Malawi, my friend? We are beyond third world. We are fourth world, even fifth world, I think. How do you think you're going to make it? How are you going to make it in this crazy economy? God must come through for you. And he will prosper you right here. Some of you think you have to go to America. You don't have to go to America. Stay here like Isaac. God is going to bless you. Wake up. Tell your neighbor, wake up. There's a battle you must fight. You're not going to get those things free of charge. You must work for them. You must fight for them. So when we say we're having night of prayer Friday, come. Because you don't win this battle watching Benny Hinn. I was watching TB Joshua. And so you think somehow the biosmosis from the screen, somehow you're going to get into your breakthrough. You must fight for your breakthrough. One of the saddest things that has happened is that now we have believed that when you come to the front and we lay hands on you, then you don't have to fight your battles. You must fight your battles. You must fight your battles. You some of you used to wake up and pray at night. Here, you are not doing that. You don't even remember when last you did that. Some of you, Friday night, you were there. You didn't even miss Friday night for prayer. You were there. You don't come anymore. How? Where, where are you fighting this battle? In your bed? I don't think so. It's time to wake up, church. The enemy is real. He is very real. And he wants to dispossess you. Don't be satisfied with where you are. You could have been so much further if you had stuck to Him. I hope today you make that decision to say, I really want to walk a close walk with you, Jesus. I want to walk a close walk with you. I want to hear you. I want to hear from you. I want when these fears come that I know that, no, I'm standing on some solid ground. Because, friend, that is what will get you into your destiny. Don't worry about a sweating preacher. I'm just here to tell you what you are meant to be doing. That's my job. Whether I sweat, whether I don't worry about it. The thing is you must move into your destiny. You are overdue for your destiny. You are greatly overdue for your destiny. We are greatly overdue for our destiny. We need to move on. We need to move on. And we cannot move on without realizing that there is an enemy against us. Uh, that business that business is meant to grow. Yeah, it's meant to grow. If it doesn't grow, let it be, let it be because God has said it's not going to grow. Let God himself say, no, no, no. You're going through a season here, and so this thing is not going to grow. But keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Let it be that, but let it not be because for a want of praying and fighting for your testimony. Thank you for listening to the Kairos podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.